This podcast contains adult language and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. Before you come up with some stupid nickname for our fan base, excuse me, I do have a listener suggestion for a nickname for you. Oh, all right, let's hear it. <laughs> so last week we were talking about your wonky arm, right? And our listener Shannon from Arizona, yeah, your short elbow. Our listener Shannon from Arizona said we should call you Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's, that's actually good, huh? really funny. I've never thought of that before. And just for everyone listening, my arm doesn't isn't that short. <laughs> Not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with it, but it's it's looks normal. It's just kind of a little bent a little bit. So I like yeah. that. Thank you, Shannon. I'm sure now Erica will call me Nemo for the rest of my life. So Yes. I've never even seen that movie, but I know that that thing, that little fish has like a flapper arm. <laughs> <sighs> How have you not seen that movie? You have nieces no. and nephews. Like... No, they they watch Mary Poppins when they're with me. Oh my god, of course they do. No, we actually just watch like fails videos on YouTube because they think that's hilarious. <laughs> that's what we watch when we're over at your house too. Yeah. My niece and nephew are cool, man. They're not like little kids that have to watch cartoons. Cartoons are great. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure but, they are. But they and are I'm cool. sure they watch them at home. But uh, probably. I just dig Warren wanting to do backflips off of everything. Oh yeah. He's pretty cool. Yeah, I like him. Sam's great, too. Yeah, she is great. So do you want to get into this episode? Because we're going to talk about some people who aren't so great. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's just jump into this one, too. So we're going to cover Lester Eubanks. And I don't know that he's super widely known, but it's a crazy, crazy case. And it's infuriating, too. So <laughs> yeah. let's go. So his case starts back in Mansfield, Ohio. In November of 1965, and from what I've looked up, the only thing that Mansfield's really known for is the reformatory there, is the prison that they filmed Shawshank Redemption at. Oh, yeah, So it's kind of like, yeah. Have you seen Shawshank? Of course. Oh, okay. That's a great movie. It is a great movie, but you haven't seen anything (laughs) besides Mary Poppins. Yeah. Yeah. So Mansfield, Ohio, November of 65. There was a little girl named Mary Ellen Diener, and she was 14 years old. And one night, her family's washer or dryer went out, and their laundry was piling up. So her and her little sister, Brenda, went to a local laundromat to wash the family's laundry. And when they got there, they realized they were short coins to finish the laundry. So Brenda stayed at the laundromat, and Mary Ellen went to go find change. At laundromats, they should have change machines, by the way. Yeah, they definitely should. But, I mean, it makes sense. She had to go get change. Yeah. Doing your laundry at a laundromat is already inconvenient enough. 
Adding on that you have to get right. it, go to get change made, that's even worse. Yeah, at night. Yeah. So Mary Ellen never came back. So Brenda was pretty scared and she went across the street to their grandmother's house. So apparently their grandma lived pretty close by to this laundromat, which is why they were comfortable going there at night. Right. And when she got to her grandma's house, she told her grandma that she never came back. And so the grandma went out to look for her, like retrace her steps and all that. And she found a crowd gathered around. Well, the crowd turned out to be police and bystanders who had found Mm. little Mary Ellen dead on the side yard of a vacant house. And it was gruesome. Yeah, it was violent. It was, this is disgusting. Yeah, this is going to be a trigger warning. It's pretty bad. So while they were investigating, they found out that she'd been shot twice with a thirty-two caliber handgun and beaten in the head with a brick. That's gnarly. Like, is if getting shot wasn't bad enough, like, ending it with a brick, like, that's... Yeah. Hmm. Like, you're doing it for punishment almost at that yeah. point, you know? Yeah. So the police checked local records for people who own thirty-two caliber handguns, and they came across a 22-year-old named Lester Eubanks. His dad was a local preacher, so you would think, like, good kid, good family. But he was known for being a real shitty guy. The whole family's pretty shitty, actually, but they put on one of those, like, oh, good religious pastor's family costumes, but they're terrible people, as we'll get into. Yeah, and like you kind of said, Lester was really known for being a bad guy. Like, as soon as the police saw his name on the record, they were like, oh, damn. Like, it was kind of like, this makes sense, you know? Exactly. So he was only 22, but he'd already been in trouble with the law, and which is why they were like, yeah, this makes sense. So the night that Mary Ellen was murdered, he was out on bail because a few months earlier, he was accused of breaking into a diner after hours and sexually assaulting a waitress. And he had also faced charges in juvenile court for sexually assaulting a 12-year-old. Oh, my God. So obviously, this is just a low-level person, like, to say yeah. the absolute least. I mean, that's disgusting. And yes. So they picked him up and they asked him questions and he just spilled the beans. He was just like, oh, yeah, I killed that girl. He didn't deny it or anything. There was no like forced confession or false confession. He was just like, yep. And he told them the whole story of what happened. Everything that I've heard about it, too, is exactly like you said, like he didn't deny it. He I don't know that he was necessarily proud of it, but he kind of didn't see anything wrong with it. He was like, yeah, I did it. Like, yeah, he showed no remorse or anything. Nothing. Yeah. So he tells them the story that he saw her through the laundromat window. And when she left to go get change, he followed her, pulled her onto the side yard of a vacant house and tried to assault her. And in a lot of the recounts of this story, it says that he was trying to sexually assault her. But she fought back and he shot her twice in the stomach and he left her there to die. It just made a a bad situation worse, you know. Yeah. So he went home and he changed his clothes and got ready and was going to go out that night. And when he was leaving to go to the club or go dancing or wherever he was going, he walked by where he had left Mary Ellen and he heard her moaning and begging for help. So this is when he decided to get a brick and proceed to beat her in the head until she was dead. Uh, Like, you know, in that it's almost like he thinks he's helping, you know, like, oh, I'll just put her out of her misery and, and do this. Like, it's such a sadistic way of thinking. It doesn't make sense to any of us listening, but that's what's crazy about that is in his own brain, I'm sure it made sense. Like, oh, well, I'll just put her out of her misery, you know, like just end this. Yeah, he's a monster. Right. It wasn't about helping her or, you know, fixing his obviously, obviously terrible wrong. Yeah. 
it was just uh, this next thing, you know? Yeah, it gets worse from here. This awful, heinous ordeal is over. He admitted it. He wasn't forced or false confession or anything. He went to trial. He admitted it in trial, although he tried to plead insanity, but it was obvious BS. And the trial only lasted two weeks, and it was done. He was found guilty and sentenced to death. Off he went. Girl, bye. Yeah, so he was supposed to spend the rest of what was left of his miserable life on death row. And Mary Ellen's family was devastated, obviously. They lost their baby, but they had justice. Everything was done, or so they thought. So after he's sent off to prison, he spends a few years on death row, and he had quite a few bad marks on his record for fighting and being disruptive. He was known as being, like, kind of a piece of shit, you know, just a real cocky, arrogant, not a great prisoner. His execution was scheduled three different times, and... Somehow he kept getting appeals and stays and all that stuff. He just kept getting lucky, you know, which is partly how the system is designed to make sure that you don't execute somebody who's innocent. So I I understand that. Yeah. I mean, we both know I'm not very fond of the death penalty and want it to be correct if it's going to happen. But I mean, even this guy, I think this guy was in on the right place. At the right place? Yeah. In the, in the right place. <laughs> I think this guy was in the right place. Yeah, I know. This is, case is going to be interesting because our views are very different on the death penalty. So I was like, ugh, this case pisses me off. But, you know, the death penalty for me, like, it goes back and forth. But, like, when it involves kids, right. it, it, yeah, I kind of lean. Republican. I know. I kind of lean Republican on that one. <laughs> it's like the only time you ever do. It's funny. Yeah. In 1972, Lester was three days away from execution, and the Supreme Court ruled the death penalty unconstitutional. So his life, his death sentence was immediately commuted to a life sentence. Which, I mean, I I, I don't hate either. I, I don't hate the life sentence. I, I don't, I, I do kind of hate it here, though, honestly. I do kind of yeah. hate it here. This guy's so bad. <laughs> I don't. I know. I'm sure he's got some things wrong with him, and that does bother me, too, to think about. But... Again, when it involves kids, it's just it's just a whole other level of weird. I would probably be okay with it being commuted to a life sentence if it was like the 50s or the 60s when it would have been like Shawshank. (laughs) You know, I would have been like, oh, good. Let that guy suffer for the rest of his life. But we're now in 1972 and prison reform was in full swing and they wanted to focus on rehabilitation instead of punishment or detention, which is okay on its face. And I understand the reasoning for it. But in this particular state, a prison, which is Ohio, a prison psychologist who was incredibly unqualified and lacked even basic common sense was somehow in charge of the dangerous felons in the Ohio prison system. <laughs> and it was a catastrophic failure. Yeah, that's a recipe for disaster. And I'm all for prison reform. I love hearing, you know, the comeback stories of yeah. people getting their, their GEDs or their diploma or uh, their college degrees or, you know, just turning things around and getting out and, you know, things are better. But. Yeah. Of course. This wasn't that. (laughs) No. So the psychologist's name was Bennett Cooper, and he put in all these incentive programs like an honor program where the good inmates can receive rewards for good behavior. So obviously, logically, you would think more yard time, extra visits, maybe more phone time. But um, Bennett Cooper thought, oh, let's take violent, dangerous criminals and put them in street clothes and send them to football games and baseball games and the state fair or the mall. You know, all the places kids go. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I, I, this is where I, I definitely don't agree. Like, I'm all for prison reform. I'm all for you know giving goodies and you know 
earning things yeah. in, in prison, but uh, I'm not all for this. Because it incentivizes good behavior, and I get that. Right. But it seems obvious when you say this out loud that this is a bad idea. And it goes from bad to worse when you find out that it wasn't only inmates that had release dates that were eligible for this program. Like you said, I get that. If you're a year from being released or three years from being released and they want to try to help you integrate back into society, like, I get that. But he's letting former death row inmates that have life sentences that should never leave prison for any reason are allowed in this program. It's right. like, why? Yeah. That, what's the point? You know, they don't need to go anywhere. They're, yeah. they're pretty comfortable where, where they are. I yeah. guess I can understand it to a degree, you know, but I don't I don't agree with it. But I can understand the the rationale, the rationale of like these guys, you know, deserve a little bit of regular life, too. They've been exemplary prisoners like they're great. But you have to understand the psychology of it, too. And these guys are master manipulators as well. Exactly. And their crimes weren't considered at all, obviously, in this process, because if they would have been, they would have been like, oh, well, this guy's a convicted child murderer. Yeah. Where should we not take him? We shouldn't go to yeah. the mall for the ki- for the people who hurt kids. I mean, yeah, this guy killed a 14 and the people girl. who are never going to get out. That's the other thing. Like, these people shouldn't ever be let out of prison, so why are you focusing on rehabbing them? I understand incentivizing good behavior in prison so that they're not rioting and being a nightmare for you, but let's maybe keep them locked up. Yeah. So, in the three or four months leading up to December of 1973, inmates were walking away from the program, and at least two other convicted murderers escaped during this time. Duh. And in interviews with the people who worked at the prison, they were like, oh, yeah, that was like an inf- unfortunate side effect we didn't see coming because they were model inmates. It's like you were letting guys that had nothing to lose out on the street. Yeah. It wasn't like they had release dates where they were like, OK, I better be good so that I get out when I'm supposed to. These guys had zero things to lose. Nothing. Who wouldn't walk away? I know I would. Yeah. I mean, right? <laughs> I'd do it a few times and get my, my bearings. And then once I was comfortable, I'd be like, um, bye. I'm going to see how this goes. See ya. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. You spend the rest of your life in prison. Like, that's already your punishment. Like, it's this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. So, in the midst of this lunacy, Lester Eubanks went from death row getting bad marks on his records for fighting and being a nightmare in 1972 to all of the sudden getting praising recommendations and only good things in his file, being granted extra visits and allowed into this honor program by 1973. So like you said, they're master manipulators. He's like, oh, if I just act right for obviously a very short period of time, these guys are going to give me some genes and take me to my escape. They're going to make it easy for me. Like, yeah, they're going to help me escape from prison. This is great. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So on the morning of December 7th, 1973, the program allowed four inmates to go on a shopping trip to a local mall. They put them in civilian clothes and a guard drove them to the mall and dropped them off and was like, "Okay, meet back here at the van at two o'clock. They didn't warn the mall. They didn't warn the people that were at the mall. They didn't warn the families of the victims that they're family member's murderer was like what if mary ellen's mom was out christmas shopping and ran into her daughter's murderer in a store and murdered him yeah i mean like oh that would be absolutely awful i used to run a summer camp and this is what we did with our teen kids like we would take them to a mall or somewhere and give them check-in times to come back like and all they were were teenagers these guys are convicted felons and they have the same you know can go and do the same things that these just regular kids could do that's Going to malls, that's where kids go. That's yeah. You killed a 14-year-old. 
That's where 14-year-olds yeah. go. Exactly. It's it's just like asinine when you say it out loud. It's so ridiculous. But shockingly, the other three inmates came back at 2 p.m., but Lester did not. Oh, convenient. Yeah. Can you imagine being that guard, like, sitting at the van going, yeah, he's going to come back. He's right. What? Yeah, like, what do you think that no. phone call was like? I mean, you don't even have a cell phone. You have to go and find a payphone and <laughs> call oh, the- but they didn't do that. Oh. They waited a little while at the at the mall, and then when he didn't come back, they were just like, okay, and they drove back to the prison. There was no manhunt, no alarms, oh nothing. Oh, my God. They didn't notify the family of his victims, the local police, anything for hours. What what did they do for those hours? Like, just, like, go send another guard back and hope he shows up? Well, I'm assuming he went back to the prison and told this Bennett Cooper idiot. And then they sat and had a meeting and figured out what the hell they were going to do because they were embarrassed. They were ashamed. Like, how do you call the local news and say, hey, an inmate escaped. Can you maybe blast his picture out on the local news? They would have been like, oh, did he, like, tunnel out like Andy Dufresne style? And they would have had to be like, um, no. Uh, we gave him clothes and drove him to the mall, and then he walked away. Like, that's embarrassing. Yeah, it is. The reporter would have been like, um, hey, didn't he brutally murder a 14-year-old girl, and you just let him go to literally the place 14-year-old girls hang out? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Yeah, they were embarrassed. So the manhunt left a lot to be desired because they kind of muted it because it was their fault. <laughs> yeah, and- that's already a bad look for them, you know? The, yeah. Did horrible. nobody, like, talk about this? Like, was this not approved, like, through higher levels than the warden? Like, because this is just this is just bad common sense. Yeah, this Bennett Cooper guy was the commissioner of prisons. Oh, so he's God. the okay. one that approved this. Gotcha. But finally, according to ABC News, a lawsuit from the state's attorney against the prison system for this bullshit stopped all these shenanigans because they were like, hey, these sentences are lawfully imposed by a judge and a jury and like the way our, you don't have the right to like let this guy go to the mall and escape. Like that's not cool. And they had to sue the prison system to stop this shit. That's really bad. Yeah. So in in the same interview by ABC News that I had listened to, a guy named Jeffrey Carson, who worked for this Bennett Cooper guy, said, and this this is in today's time, like this is not back in the 60s or 70s, this is current. He said, quote, he was screened. If you look at his behavior, if you pull his record of behavior, his behavior had to be one that would allow him to go all the way down to a minimum security inmate. But I think in looking at, looking back, and backtracking in retrospect, I think that all the right decisions were made to make the consideration to let him out. And the guy just made a bad decision to walk away. That's something that happens. <laughs> Today, they're still doubling down on the fact that they didn't do anything wrong, that this guy walked away. It's like... He made a bad choice. You literally just said that looking at his behavior, he would have had to have been, to qualify for this program, he would have had to have been able to go all the way down to a minimum security inmate. He was a serial rapist who murdered children. That disqualifies him from being a minimum security inmate. Absolutely. like That's pretty high, uh, high maximum security stuff you're doing there, buddy. Yeah. Like, these people are just like... in. I'm like, what are you talking about? So in their completely negligent search for Lester, they found a woman named Kay Banks who had been corresponding with him in prison. And her husband was like a no-name Motown singer named Daryl Banks. 
But apparently that was a stage name, and he was actually a Eubanks, and he was related to Lester. What? How was he related? Was he a cousin or an uncle, or how was he related? Yes, some sort of, I, I don't, I haven't really, I think he was a cousin, but he could have been an uncle. But it was some, not super close relative, but he was a relative of Lester. Yeah. And he ended up in some sort of scuffle over a girlfriend in Detroit and got shot and killed. And his wife, Kay started talking to Lester in prison after her husband was killed over his girlfriend, which is a whole messy thing. And these people, these Eubanks, man, when I think Eubanks, I think Bob Eubanks in the dating game. I don't think in the Rose Parade, I don't think this kind of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So this family is messy, but we'll get into them more as we go. But the FBI went to LA where she was living and interviewed Kay after Lester had escaped But Lester wasn't there, and they just never went back. They went and interviewed her once and was like, hey, is Lester here? She's like, nope. And they were like, okay, thanks, and then walked away. Let us know. If he comes back, be sure to let us know, please. Yeah. So there was really no search for him for almost 20 years. They just kind of, like, gave up. And in the early 1990s, a cop who remembered the case decided to look up the fugitive warrant in the system, and he couldn't find it. It wasn't in there. He was like, um... This How guy is, is not an escaped there? murderer, and he's not in the system. I don't know. There's never been any explanation for why he wasn't in there. But obviously some sort of cover-up where they didn't want it to look like they were just letting murderers out of prison. So I know his dad was a pastor and did some pretty good yep. work in the prisons with the prisoners. Yep. Has there ever been any kind of connection that maybe his dad had something to do with it? Well, not that's ever been proven, but... I mean, in my humble opinion, it couldn't be unrelated. I mean, just the I also don't know how they even let his dad have so much access to the prisoners and the inmates and so much influence in the prison when his son was a prisoner. Right. And I was going to say that, too, because I know his dad did a lot of work there and he did have a lot of influence there. And so that could be why he rose to the ranks of these, you know, getting pardoned or not pardoned, but being able to go to these outdoor events as quickly as he did. Mm-hmm. Maybe his dad pulled some strings and, you know, made things yep. happen. This family, man, like they're, yeah, they're, they're an interesting bunch. Yep. So after this cop found out that he was, there was no federal warrant for his arrest, nothing like this guy could have been arrested in the meantime. And they would have never known he was a wanted prisoner because he wasn't in the system. It's, it's an absolutely asinine. So in 1994, after this cop had re-put him in the system and kind of like revitalized this case, he was featured on America's Most Wanted. And a woman in Florida called in and said her ex-husband was friends with Lester in Los Angeles. And it turned out he'd been living with Kay Banks the whole time. (laughs) Didn't see that coming. The whole time. So... They literally never went back. They interviewed her. He hadn't made it to her house yet in California, or maybe he was, and he was just, like, in the closet. She told him he wasn't there, and they never went back. It was like, oh, my gosh. They didn't do any kind of investigation, no looking, no nothing. I mean. Apparently not. I guess. Because. I mean, I guess they didn't have a search warrant. It was probably more of just a, hey, is this going on? Let's see when that would happen. Yeah. So when they finally interviewed her in the 90s, she admitted it and told them everything. She told them that. He lived with her and her teenage son and all this stuff and that when things started going badly and I'm assuming that she may because I don't know if they were romantically involved or if she was just letting him live there. It seems like they had a romantic relationship. 
And when she decided that she wanted him to leave, she told him that the FBI had contacted her, and that's what finally got him to leave. But they found out that he lived with her for years and was working at a mattress factory under the name Victor Young. He was doing oil paintings and selling his art, and it's like, what? Like, did, did we talk this whole time? about yet how good of an artist he was? Because I don't think we did. No, he was a very talented artist. This guy won America's Most Talented Painter or prisoner, America's most talented prison painter. Is that what it was? Yeah, some some sort of award. Yeah, he won some kind of art contest for being the best prisoner or best art man. This whole thing sucks. I'm so sorry, but he won some kind of award for being the best artist in prison throughout the entire country. Yeah. So he yeah. was he was very good at this. Yeah, it's interesting. So, like we said, she had a teenage son. That was living with her at the time. And in this ABC News podcast that I listened to, they interviewed him. And he admitted that this guy lived with them, that they knew what he had done. They knew he was a wanted fugitive. And he had nothing but good things to say about Lester. And listening to interviews of these people who know him and have seen him since his escape are disgusting. They're laughing and taunting and they're like, oh, you're never going to catch him if you haven't caught him already. Like they speak fondly of him. It's almost like he's like a folk hero. I don't understand how all these people aren't in prison for harboring him, but they aren't. This Kay Banks idiot let a convicted child killer live with her and her child. Yep. It just blows your mind. And then her child, who's a grown man now, is giving interviews like, laughing and taunting and you'll never catch him and blah 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 it's like what they love him they think it's the best i know and uh, don't get me wrong i'm normally one who loves the the bad guy and gets away from the police and stuff like that so i'm normally on board for all that but not in this instance this is disgusting this guy is vile there is no benefit to society to this guy being on the street right it's one of those things where it's like he's not db cooper you guys right. know that, right yeah absolutely good good comparison yeah very much yeah it's DB like cooper is so cool but this guy yeah. <laughs> this guy though is not cool at all but db cooper was pretty badass yeah but these people all talk about him like you talk about db cooper and it's disgusting it's it is so vile. I, it's it's hard to listen to. Like, one of his brother's kids was interviewed on the same podcast, and he was literally like, well, what's the point now? Yeah, Like, I if heard you that. haven't found him by now, you won't. He literally said, what are you going to do, spend a million dollars to try to find him and then prosecute him when he's 78? It's like, hey, you dipshit. They don't have to prosecute him. They already did that. He he's is a convicted a felon. child killer. Yeah, yeah. he's supposed <laughs> to be in. He had a life sentence. He's supposed yeah. to be in jail. They don't need to He was supposed to be executed. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, we were supposed to be done with this idiot. See, so sometimes, I mean, I'm not real into the the death penalty, but, you know, this whole thing may have been avoided had that just stuck in place with this. Totally. This kind of person. Or if they would have just kept him in prison when they gave him a life sentence. Yeah, definitely. Not let him go walking around. Yeah. But that's what bothers me about this family is they're like, well, what's the point now? He's an old man. You know, like, leave him alone. It's like, uh, what the point is, is that Mary Ellen didn't get to be an old woman. She didn't even get to become a woman. She was 14 years old and he killed her. Bill Cosby's an old man. He's still getting prosecuted. I know he's out right now, but I saw another allegation come up for him. He's still facing his crimes. He hasn't done them in yeah. a while, but he's still facing those. You know, yeah. Golden State Killer, he's an old man. He's still facing those crimes. Like, you don't just get off. And guess what? 
Zero sympathy. I don't give a shit that he's old. He's and, a monster. Well, even Nazis, if, if there's Nazis still alive and they're found, they're prosecuted as well. Like, you don't just get yeah. off because you're old. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what are you talking about? So, meanwhile, Mary Ellen's family has to deal with this trauma of their baby's murderer being out free. Yep. Could you imagine no. knowing who murdered your baby and knowing that he's out there on the run? Like, you have to be looking over your shoulder all the time. Like, what if he's coming after them next? Like, this is horrible for this family. I'd be looking over my shoulder because if I found him, I'd kill him first. Like, that would be my I know. my thought process. Like, I'm looking for him because if I find him, he's not killing me, but his life will be yeah. done. For sure. But her family is amazing. They're amazing people. But I just cannot imagine. Like, nobody in Lester's family has any empathy for this family. None. Nobody. They all just think that this is, like, you know, yeah. cool. It's blatantly obvious the stock that this asshole comes from. They're all monsters. The only person that is related to Lester Eubanks that was not a monster was a man who came forward after this whole deal more recently and said that his whole life he was told that Lester had sexually assaulted his mother after a church service in the 1960s, and recent genetic testing confirmed that Lester Eubanks is his biological father. Oh, I knew and that was his coming. story is heartbreaking. I knew it was coming, and it's still, it's still devastating to hear that this dude was conceived in rape, and... Yeah. He has to know that. Like, yeah. And it was like common knowledge. And the Eubanks family knew about him and would like talk to him when he was growing up. Yeah. They'd come like, visit. Pastor Eubanks. Yep. He knew his would dad. Would come tell him, hey, do you know who your father is? And maybe someday you'll get to meet your dad. And like, it's just awful. This guy said to this day, he's still afraid of the Eubanks family. Fair enough. I'm afraid of him. Yeah. Yeah. It's gross. So. That's pretty much where the case sits now. I mean, he's a convicted child killer. He's a serial sexual assaultist. I don't know. What do you... A serial sexual <laughs> offender. I like assaultist. Like, yeah. But, I mean, I mean, he's an awful man. And everybody that they interview or that gives any kind of public statements or anything is like, oh, you'll never catch him, blah, blah, blah. It's like, are you shitting me? Yeah. At least, even if you're not going to turn your family in, like, I understand not being not being a snitch or whatever they're going to call it, but then just keep your fucking mouth shut. Just yeah. don't say anything. Yeah, you don't have to gloat on top of the already really bad thing that's happening. Like, come on. Have some yeah, common decency horrible. for these people. Yeah, it is. It is horrible. It's and horrible. And for the only decent person to come out of this whole thing being his own son who was born in the most awful of ways... Yeah. Like that's speaks volumes about the family too. Like they're all bad. And you know, this kid, could you imagine? I couldn't imagine I, like having to yeah. know that that's how you're around. Like that's gotta be really yeah. tough for a lot of different ways. Yep. So there is a $50,000 reward for information leading to the whereabouts of Lester Eubanks. And anyone with information about this idiot is supposed to call the Ohio Violent Fugitive Task Force at one eight six six four wanted. So one eight six six four nine two six eight three three. And we'll post pictures on our Instagram of him and when he was younger and the composite of what he might look like at seventy eight years old. 
but his dad lived late into his life and, you know, his family is healthy and he was known to be physically healthy. So it's not out of the question that he's still alive. No, I, I definitely think he probably is and would love to see him come to justice. So, you know, if you're listening to this, go look at him on our Instagram at from crime to crime and see if maybe you could put the pieces together somewhere just because, you know, I would love to see this guy taken into custody or back into custody again and serve out his sentence for, for the rest of his life. Yep. And that's way too long for her family with no answers. Definitely. It's just, it's devastating. His last known whereabouts were Los Angeles and they don't really have anything since then. I'm keeping an eye out. Yeah, I know. And we have a lot of listeners in California, but now that his biological son's DNA is in the major consumer DNA databases, they're hoping that they'll get other hits of other biological children that might lead them to like, oh, maybe somebody was born later, you know, like in the 80s or the 90s. You know what I mean? And it might lead them to where he was, where he's been in the last 30 years since they've confirmed where he was. I mean, I guess there's one benefit of this is that he did have a son that can now get his DNA spread far and wide. So, yep. I mean, there's not many, but at least there's that. Yep. So that's pretty much the awful, horrific story of Lester Eubanks. I hope someday that Mary Ellen's family gets justice. Absolutely. When you first told me about this case, uh, I was really interested from the from the get go and just learning more and more about it. Like that's why true crime is so interesting is that these cases are real and these are real things that are happening in the world that you think would only be in movies or it could never happen. And there's that there's those one offs that these things well, happen with. This one wouldn't have even been a believable movie. Like, if you came yeah. to Hollywood with this script, they would have been like, that's ridiculous. A prison so, would never let a convicted yeah. child killer go <laughs> right. shopping. Right. Like, this is unbelievable. You couldn't even make this up. You can try, but you wouldn't have gotten this far. Yeah. No. Anyway, we should get going, buddy, because I've got a brand new puppy. Welcome to the family, Maverick. Yes. We have a new From Crime to Crime family member. His a name little, is Maverick. A little baby German Shepherd, and he's super cute. We should post pictures of Maverick on our Instagram too. Okay. And our and our TikTok. We're we're gonna try to get our TikTok oh, yeah. rolling again. But yeah, we kind of slacked on that because your wedding was. I know. So oh yeah, fun. I'm married now. That's a new thing that's happened. Oh yeah. Here. Yeah. So thanks. Uh, and I'm you sound everybody. great. <laughs> I do sound great because Erica went above and beyond as the bestest mensch and upgraded our podcast and got me some new i. AirPod AirPod Pros. Is that how you say it? No, it's not. There's no iPods anymore. Huh? I don't know. Air AirPod Pros. And so now we are coming in crystal clear. Yeah. So, so I'm sure Christine you. loved that wedding gift, but she did because she got my old AirPod iPod Pro uh whatever they're called. She got the old ones. So yeah, she's happy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Which also came from you. So <laughs> yeah. just... Well, I just meant like you sound better, like you sound like a man. Like oh, thank married. you. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I didn't mean because of your headphones. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I'm a man now because I have tools and I have a I got a wheelbarrow for all my composting. Oh, yeah. The tools didn't come from me, though. Apparently. No, no the tools came <laughs> specifically <laughs> and only from Matt. Your husband made he singled me. Out. I was like that gift on the table. It's not from me and Erica. It's from me. And I was like, OK, <laughs> all right. Thanks. <laughs> He's so funny. You guys are the best. So, all right. Well, I got to get going because my puppy needs some loves. 
All right. Well, love on it for me. I can't wait to see him soon. I will. And we'll post pictures on Instagram of this monster Lester Eubanks and then of this cute little monster Maverick. <laughs> Get a little bit of both. Both ends of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah. All right, buddy. Well, I love you. I love you too. We'll talk later. Okay. Bye. Bye.